When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Oh, God, say to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe says, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe say, what? God say, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Well, Abe says, where do you want this killing done? God says, out on Highway 61. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about the title track from 1965's classic Highway 61 Revisited is longtime comics pro and author Danny Fingeroth. Hi, Danny. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Now, you and I uh, were, you. we did a podcast before last year. You were on my Mountain Comics show uh, because, as anyone, anyone who's familiar with you knows, you are a longtime career in comics, and you were a name that I was, I grew up with, you know, saw on different uh, iterations as writer and editor in various comic books over the decades. And I was so excited to talk to you about uh, the comic book side of your life on that show. And then you happened to mention to me that you saw that I did a show about Bob Dylan, and you were a big fan of Bob. So it all lined up quite perfectly that, you know, you're now on this show. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. It's, you know, it, it, it's not that big a leap when you're a kid or a teenager from kind of the overblown hyperbole of Stan Lee to the overblown hyperbole of Bob Dylan. It's not that <laughs> big a leap. You know, it is, uh, you know it, 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 in retrospect, it seems like it was just a perfectly logical the move for me uh, in terms of my uh, fandoms and my interest. <laughs> well, that we're going to get into that a little because you are the, uh, to, if my memory serves me well, the fourth comic book pro that I have had on Pod Dylan at this point. I've had J.M. Demetrius, I've had Ron Randall, and Gabriel Hardman. And so now, and, you know, so if you oh, guys all know. combined in one book, that would be a hell of a comic book. Yeah, you really? guys all collaborated on one book. That'd be oh, really good. I didn't, I didn't know that uh, you know uh, that those guys are on JM, especially as a good friend. So, I, what, what did uh, JM? What song did JM take? Uh, he did. Uh, I shall be released. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah it's uh, Ron Randall did "Ain't Talking" from Modern Times, oh, and yeah. Gabriel Hardman did uh, "The Girl from the Red River Shore," the outtake from wow, "Time Out of Mind." Okay. So, a, kind of all over the place, but yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. they That'd oh, be an amazing comment. I wish I knew that before. But anyway. <laughs> so, well, okay, before we get to this song, which, as you remarked to me off air, you were amazed that we haven't gotten to yet. We're 200, almost 250 episodes into the show. We have not gotten to this classic song off of arguably like the most, his most famous album. Maybe Blood on the Tracks is slightly more famous. So that's, you know, it's arguable. But yeah. we have, we have to always start at the beginning for any new fan, which is like how you became a fan of Bob in the first place. I just want to say, you know, you, you know, I, 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 I was excited about this show and, you know, I asked to do it and you seemed open to that. And then you gave me a list of, you know, of, 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 of all of Dylan's songs and the list of those, the, the songs that you've done shows about. And, you know, I, I, I figured, okay, there's a, a, a what, close to 300 episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I kind of went through the list and, okay, all the best known ones are gone, but I know, you know, Dylan, Dylan is, is, his talent is so wide and deep that, that, you know, there's lots and lots of songs that may not be as famous. And then I said, Rob, this must be a typo. Highway 61 <laughs> is available. You know, no, no, nobody's done it. How could nobody, 
So I'm looking at it as a divine intervention. I, I am looking the same. I, I believe that the God of Highway 61 has intervened, uh, <laughs> and let, you know, and left this song untouched by Pod Dylan just for me. I'm, I'm, I'm that self-involved enough to, <laughs> to believe that uh, there was some divine or divine type intervention here. Um, you know, I'm, I, it's, you know, the, the, yeah, and to answer your question, how did I become a fan of Bob Dylan? Dylan um, seemed to always be there, you know? Um, but he was a guy, I guess as a kid, he was a guy that like comedians would make fun of. He was easy to make fun of because of the, because he was, you know, sort of uh, weird and bohemian and, um, and that's what middle-aged comedians did in the, in the early sixties. They would make mm. fun of whatever the crazy music the kids were listening to was. <laughs> so I always, so let's say Dylan B starts becoming famous when I'm like seven years old. Uh, so I always knew there was a Bob Dylan and they, I didn't know quite what or who he was. Um, although I guess I knew the song, some of the more famous ones, but I guess around, so I'm not, you know, I'm a middle, I'm a middle level baby boomer. I'm not the earliest baby boomer. I'm you know, 10, about 12 years younger than Bob. Um, so probably I, a friend of mine or some, I remember being exposed to the first greatest hits album. But not when it came out, maybe in 19, maybe I became aware of it in 1968. Okay. So I was totally out of sync with my Bob Dylan history and who he was. And, and, you know, I didn't realize that album came out because of the motorcycle accident. Um, you know, and they, they needed to keep the Bob Dylan product flowing <laughs> Columbia. Um, I just knew it was, and then somewhere, you know, around, age 15 i became aware of and the thing about dylan it seemed to me you know even once so i came aware of this of highway 61 album which blew me away in in a way that no album ever had uh you know i kind of had a i had a weird eclectic musical background i love music but um i i had my father was a uh, cantor. My father was a old school um, cantorial singer. Um, and so I had a lot of that kind of traditional Jewish music in my house. And my brothers were older and they were more like on the Sinatra side of the spectrum of music. Uh, when, when it was, you know, believe me, when I was 15, it was not hip to be listening to Frank Sinatra. I, <laughs> you know, Bob Dylan had not declared it hip yet. You know? <laughs> um so, but but the Highway 61 album had a profound effect. So, Bob, so every picture I ever saw of Bob Dylan, he never looked the same. That was a weird thing. You know, I mean, now I get it. I understand why why and how it's the same guy. But I see photos of him and I go, oh, wait. How can this be that same guy in that other picture? Because <laughs> even, even by like 1968, he'd been through like 10 different phases already. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and it was... Um, so, but, but, so this album, so I would, so, yeah, there, you know, I guess not by coincidence, but, maybe, but by coincidence that this Highway 61 was the album that spoke loudest to me as an angry teenager. <laughs> so, 
I mean, that album is so angry and so funny and, but, and so mean, you know, and, and yet, um, so I guess that was the big, you know, somewhere in there around, around age 15, I think is, is, is when Dylan, it's funny because I grew up in, in Manhattan. I had access to everything, right? I could have, and I, I made a certain amount of, uh, visits to the Fillmore East and, 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 you know, and, and, and a couple of, but I was just a little too young and, and even, like I said, living in Manhattan, but still like, Ooh, below 14th street. What, uh, it's dangerous down below 14th street, you know? <laughs> so the fact that I could have gone to see a lot of these people much earlier than I ever did. Again, Dylan was long gone from that scene, although, although, although I guess he, maybe, maybe he was back living there, I guess in the late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, it's funny to me that I kind of sheltered myself or somehow, and I was not afraid. I was, I was going on the subway all the time. It just, there was something, you know, almost similar to the comics, although I did, you know, I did at one point with a friend of mine and uh, go up to Marvel Comics to try to meet Stan and Jack and Steve and amazing. And, and, that, <laughs> and, and you know, we met Flo, which was great too, but uh, she certainly wasn't going to let us into the, but I mean, it was, it was, it, it was like I lived, I lived in what, in like the real, what to me was the real New York of like subways and, uh, you know, and, and, and car theft and, uh, you know, just this nitty gritty New York. But I was too young for the glamorous New York at 15. I wasn't going, you know, to like clubs or fancy restaurants or, you know, so it was, it was very, it's weird to grow up in a place that's mythical and yet you're living in the kind of nuts and bolts, you know, going to school, you know, uh, uh, you know, working a part-time job, just dealing with, you know, um, whatever door crap on the street. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, um, I don't even know if I was answering a question there, but, but so, <laughs> sort sort of, like, yeah, it's sort of like uh, that whole world of Greenwich village folk music. Uh, was a 20 minute subway ride from my house. And yet it still seemed to me like it was a whole other world that I could only, that I could only access on records or the radio. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, except 19, I mean, you weren't that behind the curve. I mean, the the greatest hits came out in 67. You got it in 68. That's pretty good. And 15 years old is kind of the perfect age, especially for Highway 61. Because as you say, it's so, it's so funny and so angry and so caustic. And that's what, that's how you feel at 15, 16. You know, it's that blonde on blonde, not even quite so much, but especially, you know, the the famous album cover, he just has that kind of like, no F's left to give look on his face. I mean, it really is the perfect album for uh, an intelligent 15 year old who's looking to kind of broaden his horizons a little. I got to admit, I still kind of relate to it way more than I should, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so once you got highway 61, I mean, where, what was the level of sort of, did you keep up with him throughout the year? Did you go kind of come in and out depending on what was going on with him? <laughs> That's a, You know, I finally got to, yeah, yeah, all that. I mean, you know, look, I would, um, I became, yeah, I became, play the albums. And it, I think what the Beatles are to a lot of other people, Dylan was to me. Mm. I like the Beatles well enough. I mean, I went, you know, I, you know, and I certainly have their records, listen to them. But the thing that bond, you know, the thing that bonds a lot of people to the Beatles inextricably, I have with Dylan. 
So I, I bought the album, listened to them. Um, he wasn't touring. I missed, you know, he came back to touring in 74. Right. I missed that. And then, uh, I, I finally saw him live in, uh, in 78 on the, uh, the alimony tour. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at Madison Square Garden, and it was, and I'd seen a lot, I mean, but, but I was very into the folk scene. The, the first concert I did see, and this will really date me, um, as if I, as if I haven't already, <laughs> the first concert I ever went to see was Phil Oaks at Carnegie Hall. I bought two tickets thinking I might have a date, but that was, you know, that was a ridiculous fantasy, so I sold it for <laughs> the second ticket. But Optimistic. Close <laughs> to Carnegie Hall. Uh, and I, I saw him there. I saw Oaks a lot. He was like my, I related to him. And it's funny because he was Dylan's frenemy and rival. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had this very complicated relationship. But either the first or second time I saw Phil Oaks is when Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin came up on stage to tell people to come to Chicago for the Democratic Convention to demonstrate. That. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that and, turned out and, super well. <laughs> well, and it's, not only that, but also I, um, I've read in in you know later years reading about that that kind of I think Oaks thought he'd bring them up for like two minutes, but they wouldn't leave the stage. You know? so. <laughs> that sounds about right. I, think so I was I was into that. I had, I had a huge crush on Judy Collins, who I, you know, but uh, but obviously Dylan was not so easy to to track down uh, uh, for me, and he was on radio in New York again. He was on the Bob Fast show, radio unnameable late nights on uh, WBAI in New York. And I've heard those tapes, but I don't, I think by the time I even, I started listening to that station a lot to Steve Post and Bob Fast, I think Dylan had already pulled back, uh, uh from doing that. Um, so I was very into the, into folk music that was folk or folk rock, you know, Simon Garfunkel, all, all the things. Um, and listening incessantly to Dylan, uh, I don't, the two things I missed, a bunch of friends of mine went to the Bangladesh concert where, wow. it, was, where it was, well, where it was rumored he was going to be. And yet somehow, mm-hmm. I think I maybe was away that week, whatever it was, I missed that opportunity. It, it was, and it was pretty widely rumored. I even, I even, I'm so, I even was at the Woodstock festival, actually. Were you really? Yeah. Way too young to be there. And my parents didn't sleep all weekend, but I think they wanted me to have, they, they thought I was, I think probably growing up too sheltered and too, so they wanted me to, and nobody knew, nobody knew how big it would be either. I mean, they were, right. but I think, I think one of the reasons that it was so big was because everybody thought Dylan would be there or hoped Dylan right. would be there because he was so, Woodstock was totally identified with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Right? They, they what? put it in his backyard for that reason to kind of get, rope him into it. Yeah, and then he went to, uh, to England that week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bob. <laughs> Bob gonna be Bob. Yeah, but so, so, I mean, um, you know, I had a great feeling and love, uh, for, uh, for the music, but that, you know, and, and I'm, and then the 74 tour, I, I, uh, again, I, it seemed like something I don't think I even mailed away. Anyway, I saw him for the first time in 78. And then between then and now, I probably have seen him 35, 40 times. Over oh my, oh my goodness. Okay. What was your, what was your reaction when you saw him for the first time? Cause especially that tour. Yeah, that's a very different sound. 
was a very different sound. You know, the big fat sacks and all the, you know, the very kind of interesting arrangements. What did you, what was your reaction when you're like, that, this is the first time I'm seeing him and this is the show he's putting on? Not that it's bad, but it's very different. It was weird and there was no internet. So it's not like I was reading, I mean, I guess there were magazines, but um, I didn't really have any warning. You know, look, one of the things that I enjoyed about seeing Dylan so often, especially, you know, the past 10 years or so, he does these finely honed sets, you know, and that everybody knows exactly, maybe he'll, he'll vary out one, a number or two, but you know exactly what he's going to play. But for years, he would play it like a different set every night. Right. Had, yeah. I remember there was, there was one, he had one uh, set of concerts he was doing. Maybe with Pat, you know, I get them mixed up at the Beacon Theater in New York. But he had like, he was there for a week or two, I think a week. And I, and I went to two of those shows. But in the course of five nights or six nights, he played 75 different songs. It's <laughs> amazing. I, astonishing, right? So I don't, I, I was just happy to be in the same room with Bob mm-hmm, Dylan. Mm-hmm. It, 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 uh, I didn't. And I guess because I'd never seen him, I guess I was sort of, well, I guess this is what he's doing now, you know? Right. I I mean, the, you know, you said the the ups and downs, you know, look, um, when he went through the born again phase, that was very tough for a lot of his Jewish fans, you know? You know, I mean, look, he never overtly um, seemed to make a big deal of being Jewish on stage, although, you know, it seems like he, it, it was a bigger part of his life, you know, than, than we knew. Um, but I wasn't, that wasn't, I didn't want him to. I mean, that wasn't, <laughs> you know, that wasn't his job. His job was to be, you know, I guess the angry young man and then the kind of the uh, nippy middle aged guy, but the, that he went full tilt, born again Christian was really, um, felt very, um incongruous you know mm-hmm. and not you know so so i would say for there were a couple of years when um i was probably less focused on him you know and then he and then he you know i, I, I guess there was the infidels album but even before infidels on shot of love i think um with that lenny bruce song it's like well mm-hmm. this, is, this is an interesting song for mm-hmm. like <laughs> a fire and brimstone born again, you know, uh, Christian, uh, guy to be singing about Lenny Bruce. And, you know, and I've grown to love that song over the years and I saw him do it live recently, but it's kind of a goofy song, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's maybe not, it's maybe not the song that he'd want to rest his reputation on. So I would say aside from that, maybe three year hiatus, um, you know, I mean, my feeling about it is I think he probably is still. Uh, I think he's a Christian, you know, I think, um, when God, and God bless him, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he seems to be a little less, well, I don't, it depends, you know, look, he wouldn't be Bob and he wouldn't be of such interest if he didn't manage to say or do something very regularly that like pisses people off. So there's still, <laughs> you know, there's, there's lyrics on, on the rough and rowdy ways that I go, what or even or, or even just the image the image from the rough and rowdy ways tour of the 
of the uh, skeleton, you know, the death's head skeleton with the hypodermic needle. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to, honestly, you know, I've, it's bad enough. I have to know what like Eric Clapton and Van Morrison think about the pandemic <laughs> and vaccination. <laughs> I don't really want to know if, if Bob is like an anti-vaccine. Guy. Oh God, I hope not. I don't, I, yeah, yeah. I, I never made that know. connection, but oh, I, I hope that's I, not. Yeah, yeah, that was the, when I, when I, that was my, when I, the minute I saw it, I said, oh Christ, he's, so to speak. Oh man, he's got a, uh, he's got like a death image with a hypodermic needle. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, and I know, and I don't think the original, I know it's taken from a pulp, uh, yeah, an old pulp. shadow cover. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think the hypodermic is in, is the hypodermic in that original image? I don't think so. I think it's, I don't game. think so. Oh God. I don't even, I never made that connection before. <laughs> Danny, what are you doing to me? I don't, I, I'm going to wall that off. I don't <laughs> think I, I like I, to think Bob's been vaccinated. You know, <laughs> he's got all six shots or whatever he's got to get. So it's all good. there's pictures of him wearing, you know, wearing a mask coming and going, you know, there you as, go. There you go. You know, as a, as a skinny 82 year old, uh, almost 82 year old, he should, you know, yeah. uh, and he's constantly in rooms full of thousands of people. Right. Well, know? look, I, I'm, 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 uh, COVID concerned enough that I, I did not see him on his last tour because I didn't want to be in a room with 5,000 people, you know? Right. Um, but, um, so, uh, again, I think I've rambled way off topic. Your, <laughs> That's all right. I, there is something I, I do. I specifically wanted to ask you is that um, because of your history again at, at Marvel Comics and stuff. Now, I mean, you know, you're working there and you've worked there for many years and you shoot the shoot the breeze with your coworkers and all the freelancers and all the writers. Like I, as I've mentioned on numerous episodes, I didn't get into Bob until you know, relatively you know, late in his career. Early in my life, I was 18, but, you know, that you're talking that's 1989. So that's relatively late in his sort of mid period of his career. And so after becoming a fan, I now notice references in things that I didn't know. I didn't know they were Dylan references at the time because right. I didn't, I didn't know the fandom to pick up on it. I mean, I knew what times era changing was or blown in the wind and I certainly knew who he was, but like, Perfect example, James DeMatteis, who we just mentioned, he wrote an issue of Marvel Team Up <laughs> with Spider-Man and the Man Thing, and then title of the story is Simple Twist of Fate. <laughs> and now I know that JM is a Bob fan. I'm like, oh, okay. He's just pulling that title and sticking it. I had no idea at all. So when you were there, when you were working at Marvel those years ago, both as a freelancer and as an editor and all that stuff, where did you discover fellow Dylan fans among the, the Marvel staff or anything? And like, do you ever go to shows with anybody that like, Oh, Hey, yeah, let's go do that together. Well, let me just, uh, just to go back to the simple twist of fate. I mean, one of the things about Bob and that makes it hard to, you know, always delve under the surface is yes, it's true, and I'm sure JM was referencing Simple Twist of Fate, and I'm sure Bill Mantlo was referencing Jack of Hearts when he created the Jack of Hearts character. Oh, I didn't even think of that one. However, the Jack of Hearts is a card in a right. It's a thing in the culture, right? Sure. And Simple Twist of Fate is a phrase that people use all the time. Right. So that's, I mean, that's part of Dylan's genius is to is to re re energize and reinvent a, a lot of. Um, Things we say all the time or hear all the time and give them new meaning beyond the, the mundane, beyond the mundane or, mm-hmm. or beyond the repetitious. So, um, 
so I, I will say I do, I, I have a presentation, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and, you know, and, and panel moderating and stuff. And I have a, a presentation called Bob Dylan and comics. Um, and so I have found a lot of things. I have to say, I, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of like Brian Cronin, who's done a ton of, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, who's a comic guy and a Dylan guy. Right. Um, and then I was lucky enough, uh, to be able to, to, um, to go to meet with a guy named Mitch Blank, who's like one of the main Dylan archivists. And yeah. He yeah. Of, he had a lot of Dylan comic strip. So here's what I found. I found there's a, and, and we'll get back and I'll get back to your question in a second. Um, there is a ton of Dylan references in comics because mm-hmm. so many comic writers and artists and editors were, you know, were, were Dylan fans, especially the baby boom uh, era. There's very little comics in Dylan. I heard a rumor yeah. once he owned a comic shop, but I've never been able to confirm that. But, you know, I think Dylan liked comics as much as anybody of his generation and has a general familiarity. Uh, but say even in the new book, um, in uh, the, the philosophy of modern song, it you get the impression, and of course, you know, this is where con- controversy in comic fandom and controversy in Dylan fandom he makes some comment about Stan Lee in, in one of the things that make it clear that he doesn't really have any idea, or it seems like, that he doesn't know there was a Jack Kirby, you know, that mm-hmm. he sort of attributes Stan Lee. Uh, you know, so I don't think that Bob, I could be wrong, but I don't think it's comic knowledge. And, of, and of course, Robert Crumb famously disdains Bob Dylan. That's the, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know uh, that yeah, he did that. Yeah. Okay. Um, at, at least, at least to, to go by reading his comics. Um, so there's, but there's not so and Dylan, my favorite Dylan thing, maybe maybe when you edit this, you might even want to find it. There's a, you know, a clip from one of his um, theme time radio shows. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Where, well, he credits Bob Kane as the full creator of Batman. That's another story. But he says, right. Something like, <laughs> right. You know, he said, I, I uh, you know, I, um, you know, to be Superman, you had to come from another planet. Right. But. <laughs> But I, but I but I can be Batman, and you know I tried. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great love that clip. So what? I, so what, I do this presentation, and I could find you know, and there's the comic book and me. We took the bus from the basement tapes. Right, the and, comic book and me and us. We caught the bus. Yeah, the sole reference know. to comic books in his songs. Yeah, and maybe one other reference. Uh, but what I uh, when I stretched my mind a little, which is always painful, um, I, when I when I got to the idea of masked identities and secret identities, and uh, then I found then I was able to find a lot of Dylan stuff that I could use in the presentation. So uh, you know, but but to go yes, there there is a, there is a ton of comic book and comic strip references to Dylan, especially in titles, but sometimes just in dialogue. Um, and any of the most famous is Watchmen, you know, at midnight. Yes. Where they use the, the, uh, the, the, the some of the uh, lyrics from Desolation Row in, in Watchmen. Watchtower is used as well. Yeah. Right. And Watchtower as well. Um, I don't know if there was anybody, uh, that I knew of in comics who was as big a Dylan fan as, as I was. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, not that people talked about. Um, so no, I don't have any great Dylan stories um, or, or, or anything. 
<laughs> I had some dream of imagining you and, you know, <laughs> like Jim Shooter and, and all these other Marvel Comics legends going to a, a Dylan concert together or something. I know yeah. that was very highly unlikely, but I figured I had to ask. Yeah, I, I, I got the impression, you know, uh, you know, I think the, I think the Beatles were more, I remember people liking Springsteen a sure. lot. Um, and also a part of it is the time you were there. I mean, you were at Marvel late seventies and eighties and that's during Dylan's, you know, in terms of as a commercial artist, right. a slightly fallower period versus Bruce Springsteen, who was exploding in the early eighties. So you right. would make sense that, yeah, you'd have a lot of Springsteen fans. Cause my God, he's got born in the USA and he's got the river, you know, that part of it is if, if, you, if the part of you were kind of getting out of Bob a little was during the born again period. Well, that's right when you were kind of getting at Marvel and being there all the time, right. like late seventies um, and early eighties. Yeah. And I would, and I would sneak in, you know, I would sneak in like uh, Nicholas Ray references and Jack <laughs> Kerouac references to my stories. You know, uh, I don't, you know, I did a Dazzler story. Right. Yeah. Wrote Dazzler, the comic book Dazzler. superhero, super uh, rock star superhero. Yeah. There was a story where I did have Dazzler singing like a Rolling Stone. I did have. Really? I got to find that one. Well, you know, just the opening. It's always true. As, as you probably know, quoting lyrics anywhere is uh, fraught illegally. <laughs> so far, knock on wood, we haven't had any problem. No, I, mean, yes. I, I, I don't mean. I look, I, I don't mean reciting them. I mean uh, printing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, right, 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 right. That is, you know, I, this is another interesting thing I found in the new in the uh, philosophy of modern song, which I, I love, by the way. You know, Dylan cites like a hundred sixty songs. Is it sixty or hundred? A lot of songs. I think, you know, you know, I mean, the book is about Dylan's thoughts on all these songs. And now what I know, and he's got, he's got actually got this artwork, you know, there's pictures of Jack Ruby and I'm writing a Jack Ruby book, as you know. And then there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an image in there, a woodcut by, um, by one of Will Eisner's favorite artists. The guy did a book called God's Man. Um, I'm blanking on his name. It'll come to me, but. So I mean, it's it's an incredibly designed and illustrated book, but you know what there isn't in that book? There's no lyrics from any of that song, because even paying for use of lyrics, even for Bob Dylan, is apparently too expensive. Geez, you yeah, know? you're right. I never even thought about that, but yeah, there are no, there's no lyrics to any of the songs. In the there. million images. I'm sure that they paid a ton of money for a lot of those images. I mean, the book is beautifully designed and laid mm-hmm. out, and it's. You know, just chock full of intriguing photos and drawings. But so anyway, but yes, yeah, so, so maybe I dazzle sing the first, you know, line and a half or something of. Oh, I got to go find that. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> before we, before we get on the, uh, the on ramp to Highway 61, there is oh, one, yeah. <laughs> one thing I will mention about Bob's connection to comic books. And you didn't mention it. Doesn't mean you don't know, but I'll point it out. In another episode of Theme Time Radio Hour, I think I mentioned this once on a previous episode. On a, on, there's an episode of Theme Time Radio Hour. I, if I recall correctly, the theme of the show was blindness. I think I, I could be wrong. Yeah. But in that episode, he would do those segments. I think this is in the later seasons where he would do this, where he would supposedly take he would take phone calls or read letters from supposed people that wrote in, which you know, right, right. and. For the episode about blindness, again, I wish I could remember if it was that, but he says he's reading a letter and he goes, we have a letter from a Matt Murdock. 
That's pretty funny. And I'm like, wait a minute, blindness and Matt Murdock. I'm like, Daredevil. Okay. But he never says anything more than that. And it made me think, okay, that's an Easter egg for us comic book nerds that you have to know Daredevil is blind and his alter ego is Matt Murdock. And he's saying he got a letter from Matt Murdock, you know, and that, that, and you know, who knows whether he wrote that. It could be Eddie Gordetsky, who was one of the people behind that show. He might be a fan and read it. But nevertheless, that was the one other mention. And I remember getting that episode when it came out and I was like, what? You know, like, you know, I feel like it was like a message just for me because, well, yeah, you know, Matt Murdock, come on. That's, that's pretty deep cut. Are there, are there any photos of Dylan reading a comic? I mean, cause every yeah. other. No, I would, I would have one as a t-shirt if that existed. Yeah. I've yet to see any such, uh, any such, uh, article. That would be amazing. Yeah. If cause you know, exists. they're in the period, especially before the undergrounds came out, you know, before zap number one. You know, I think a lot of musicians of that era, you know, you know, whether whether with or without um, pharmaceutical uh, <laughs> um, uh, enhancement, were very into like Doctor Strange and the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was the closest they could find to sort of a countercultural experience in mainstream comics. And um, you know, so you find people coming up to the Marvel offices. Uh, Peter Asher uh, visited. Mm-hmm. Country Joe and the Fish were there two or three times. Um, you know, I think and Stan used to love to drop those names in the book. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I think they felt that they got just as much cred from visiting Stan as he mm-hmm. got from, from these rock stars coming. But I think once the underground started happening, it was less. Uh, there was, you know, that then they then the counterculture so called had something of its own. Right, right, right. Their own comics to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, but and, but I never saw anything implying, and so and so this Peter Asher, you know, was uh, was Peter and Gordon, and he was also the brother of Paul McCartney's girlfriend, right, so Jane that, Asher, yeah, Jane Asher. So that gave Stan the you know ability to write in the bullpen bulletins, and Peter Asher just came by and he tells us that the Beatles are wild and woolly marvelites, you know, right? <laughs> and of course, Paul McCartney writes a song mentioning Magneto and Titanium Man. There you go. Two Marvel right. characters. So there you yeah. go. And it, it, I mean, you kind of think about that Bob Dylan and, and Marvel Comics came of age at the exact same time and the exact same sort of rate. I mean, the, you know, the, like the very early 1960s and exploded the consciousness and we're going to do something a little different. And the, you know, the par- a lot of parallel tracks there. There are a lot of parallel tracks and Dylan is, is spoofed. I mean, there's at least, there's an issue or two of not brand F that, that has, uh, you know, that has Dylan, uh, especially once, you know, once Roy Thomas and Gary Friedrich started writing the, the spoofs, then, then there's some Dylan satires in there. Right. Right. I imagine Stan had no idea who that might've, might've been. He was a, a you know, a previous generation yeah, at that I think- point. Yeah, I think to Stan, it was just, you know, I think for a lot of, you know, middle-aged people of the time, I think the voice, even though Dylan has has demonstrated like 10 different, at least 10 different voices over the years, that voice, and, and when you listen to those early albums, the voice is actually fairly mellifluous, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think for that generation who were, you know, Sinatra and yeah, Dean, Johnny Mathis and Mathis, yeah. Annie Davis, all those beautiful voices, even the slightly rough, the slight roughness of Dylan's voice was, was just, and I still find that, you know, if I, I find, I find that all the time, you, you must, 
I mean, not, not, not your guests on the show, but I just can't people who like have this wide taste in music, but they still have this thing. Well, I can't stand his voice. And it's like, yeah, whatever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, more tickets. Yeah, yeah. More tickets for me, you know? I yeah. Mean, I, okay. That's fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, I said, I'm even on the most recent, uh, the bootleg series box set. And he's got that cover of the water is wide. And I, I said it on the fragment show a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I, I can't, I mean, it either strikes you or it doesn't. And there's no arguing it one way or the other. You can't tell someone you should feel something from this. It's just, either right, they do right, or they don't. Right. But like, even as recently as this box set and he tosses off this cover that never actually made it on the, to the covers record that it was intended for. And it's just an absolutely astonishing vocal performance of a song that he didn't write. So he doesn't even get the benefit of saying, well, the words are incredibly clever. He wrote those words. It's just a vocal interpretation. And to me, it's heartbreaking and heart stirring. I should say not breaking so much heart stirring. I, I remembered putting that set on a couple of weeks ago and I just stopped dead in my tracks. He was like, Whoa, this is, this is incredible. What about, you know? the vocal, what about the vocal on Pretty Saro? Can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, so yeah. I don't. I don't. I again, you can't tell people they should. It, it should right. strike a chord with them when it doesn't. But it just it, luckily it doesn't me, and that's well, I, I, I mean, I was reading a lot of quotes as, as I was boning up for this, as if it was like my uh, you know <laughs> the orals for my PhD exam or something. <laughs> um, but there's a quote from Joan Baez at one at somewhere. Some she says something like, you know, he's not. Yeah, it's not for everybody, but if right. you're into it, you go really deep. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. That's why I'm on episode 248 of the show for Pete's <laughs> sake. So, all right, so let's talk about Highway 61 revisited the song, okay. not the record itself. So I quoted the opening uh, verse right. to it, and then you get the second verse as well. Georgia Sam, he had a bloody nose. The welfare department, they wouldn't get him no clothes. He asked poor Howard, where can I go? Howard said, there's only one place I know. Sam said, Sam said, tell me quick, man, I got to run. Oh, Howard just pointed with his gun and said that way down on Highway 61. Like this for this is really the perfect synthesis, I think, of in terms of songs as the caustic Bob and the funny Bob, right. because the, the vocal performance is so funny. And I mean, we've got that opening with the police siren, which right. is just such a wonderful detail. Now, I have read different um uh, accounts as to whose idea that was. Al Cooper yeah. takes credit for it. And then the drummer on this particular song, um, a guy named Sam Lay, who o- only does the drums for this song, he takes credit for it. He says it was his idea, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Nevertheless, it was Bob's obviously decided to keep it, but I love that detail. All the outtakes of this, of this song, they're on the bootleg series. They don't have that. They don't have the police siren. I love that it opens with that. It just gives the whole thing this. You know, just listen to the outtakes. One of them might, but you could be right. Maybe oh, there's one. Okay. The one I, I didn't recall if any of them did. There's others that have well, like a harmonica. You could, well, one has a harmonica, one has nothing, one has a harmonica. And I think, oh, you know, there's one that's just a police whistle for like 10 seconds. Okay. Okay. Then they start again. Yeah. It's funny. I, when I, when I first heard it as a kid, as a teenager, I thought it was a penny whistle, which is also referenced in Desolation Road. Do you know mm-hmm. what a penny whistle is? Uh, it's, it's no, like a, when I think about it, I know that he says they all play on the penny a, whistle. There was I, a fad, there was a fad in like the mid 60s, like kind of like hula hoops and Super Bowls. This was a penny whistle, like I, it must go back, I don't know, maybe to the 18th century. It's, it's like it's shaped like a recorder and it's got it's almost it's like a mini trombone almost, but it makes hmm. that kind of sound. 
and, okay. and people would, and it was like a jokey thing. You, you know, you could buy one for 50 cents and you just like make silly. It was like a kazoo almost. So you can make, okay. Well, I always thought it was until I read, re- I guess recently in, in, in reading up for this, I always thought it was a, it was a penny whistle, but, um, so is there a quite wait, was there a question? Oh, so what, what am I, so the lyric, well, and you actually, I think you maybe linked me to an article, um, but every stanza, there are five stanzas. Everyone is something, somebody has a problem. Yes. Yes. And whatever the problem is, the solution will be found on highway, on 60. highway 61. <laughs> you know, and, 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 uh, you know, look, it's obviously very interesting. It opens with this biblical thing, right? right? I was hoping against hope that it would be, that it would have been Dylan's bar mitzvah portion, but I don't think it was. <laughs> You know, cause, cause it, this is, this, you know, the biblical portion is taken from is read uh, in the fall, you know, and Dylan, I've, I've, I've come across no scholar who knows, although I have been to the site of Bob Dylan's bar mitzvah, I've been to Hibbing, but, you know, if assuming it was around his birthday, that would have been in May. So it would not have been the portion of the Torah that's read in synagogue, but the portion of the Torah that's read in synagogue is really judge uh even even by biblical standards judgmental it's basically <laughs> like here's a thousand different things that if you fuck up at all god will kill you i mean it's just <laughs> the most it is the most um stringent of the biblical uh things that you better not do you know right mm-hmm. So it's interesting that that seems like it might have been Bob Dylan's bar mitzvah portion you know and it means it, pure dumb luck on bob's part that his father's name was abraham well, you know, <laughs> actually, his father's name is Abram. Abram. Oh, okay, it was Abram. Okay. Yeah, okay. biblically. All right, I'm. You know, I'm, I'm a yeshiva dropout, so I can talk <laughs> to you about this stuff. Um, biblically, at some point, God, his name is Abram. But when when he believe when God when he somehow proves his faith to God, God in the Hebrew spelling adds the H. Okay. And, Okay. That, that somehow makes it more holy and, and, and signifies his, you know, his invention of monotheism, you know, right? You know? Um, and then somewhat later, like five chapters later, is the, the binding of Isaac and the sacrifice. So, so, but it's close enough, right? So if, if it's about Abraham killing a son and Abraham is his father, then the, the son he's, you know, about to kill is Bob Dylan. I'm like, <laughs> I guess it could be David Zimmerman also, but let's figure it's probably you know, right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but and and uh, you know, and look, it's the two song. There's a song, of course, that it in, it inspired two Leonard Cohen songs. You know, one called "The Story of Isaac," which came out mm-hmm. a few years later, and uh, and then even later, the Cohen's last uh, Leonard Cohen's last. You know, his last pre-death hit was the "You Want It Darker," which is also it. It echoes back to when when the, when God says to Abraham, "You know, uh, where are you?" Abraham says in Hebrew, "Hineni," it means "I'm here." Here I am. Um, and that that's a big that's a big thing. So that's not what you know. It, it ties in. I, Dylan and Cohen were very aware of each other. And then Hineni is also a big part of You Want It Darker, if you know, if you know, you Leonard Cohen, which was really a song he put out just months, a month or two before he died. Mm. Uh, so it's very intense, but the, 
and obviously Leonard Cohen. Actually, Leonard Cohen is pretty funny, but in that, in in those two songs, those are not those are not especially. But Dylan is the what I realized. Who's in Greenwich Village in the early 1960s? Folk singers and comedians. Mm-hmm. Who's the most famous comedian to come out of Greenwich Village of the 1960s? Lenny Bruce. Uh, earlier generation. I, I can see why you'd say that, but Lenny Bruce. Um, earlier than Lenny Bruce? No, later than Lenny Bruce. I'm later than Lenny Bruce. Somebody who's contemporary with Bob Dylan, Bill Cosby. Oh, oh. Bill Cosby and Bob Dylan performing in Greenwich Village, probably on the same nights. What's Bill Cosby's? And I know Bill Cosby has kind of, you know, you know what that name means now, yeah. But at there in 1963, Bill Cosby was the funniest man in America. Mm -hmm. And Bill Cosby's funniest. Do you know Cosby's uh, work at all? Sure, of course. There's a there is a Bill Cosby routine called Noah, and I it just remind when I when I sort of flashed on that I went. Noah, this is the Lord. Right. Oh, God's right. Lord. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm trying to try. Yes. I have heard that bit. Yes. Noah, this is the Lord. Right. I want you to build me an ark. Right. What's an ark? <laughs> and, and when I, then when I saw God said to Abraham, kill me a son, Abe said, man, you must be put me on. And then God said, no. Abe said, Abe said, what? <laughs> I, somehow it just that uh, when I sort of started just letting my mind wander that I'm just thinking there's some cross pollination there. And then of course there's this guy, Lord Buckley, who also did, you know, right. who did, who did, you know, hipster stuff. And yeah, now this is very much during B- Dylan's infatuation with the beats. So I'm just, so look, there's a thousand telephones that don't ring. But there's, a, there's <laughs> There are so many references in this song. I've read so many, you know, again, just boning up for this, you know, exam that you're giving me on Bob Dylan, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm glad to take. This is, you volunteered for this, Dave. Huh? You volunteered for this. I know. I didn't not, force you to do this. What are you I talking believe about? This is my idea of a good time. I'm not okay. going <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, but, they, you know, you could go through every line, like, of this song, as people do with Bob Dylan, not unlike mm-hmm. Shakespeare in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, you know, there's multiple interpretations and I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, but it, it, um, but every one of these is a problem pose going out to highway 61, you know, so look, there's a level on which it's Dylan loving words and loving language and loving music, you know, and, and, uh, I know, I know we're not talking about the whole album, but the, but this really is part of such a carefully constructed. I mean, look, Dylan is coy about it, but let's face it. He fired the producer on the album after two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's his Tom Wilson. Yeah. Tom Wilson, who had done, you know, terrific work on earlier albums and got him Rob Johnson. You know, Dylan is coy. He says something like one day I showed up and there was a different guy. Well, you know that that's not what happened. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, sure, Bob. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a carefully constructed, beautifully constructed uh, work. So I mean, this and this is a part one of the major stepping stones. So it, it's it and like 
what Dylan does, similar to what, say, Van Morrison does with his lyrics also, is you could teach a course in, like, in music and, and, and American history just from this. You could teach a whole semester on this song. Oh, all right, we're not, I'm showing it to you, but we're not, we're not actually doing the video part. <laughs> I mean, you, you could, it is so dense. And yet it's also just like it's, it's the way it's arranged and with the, and with the, uh, the police whistle and the, and just the kind of rollicking. It, it almost seems like something you could sing on a bus on a class trip, you know, it just, it's almost like a drinking song, you know, it, it's, but it's, you know, it certainly it does not have that vituperative edge of Ballad of a Thin Man, which, which was for me, the angriest of angry Bob Dylan songs. And mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the, you know, he's got a lot of them and there's a lot of things that I will quote to myself or sometimes to other people when I'm in a pissed off mood or something. But this, you know, uh, like a Rolling Stone Ballad of a Thin Man and, and Desolation, but to get, you know, this is sort of, a palate cleanser almost it's it's a you know it it's 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 a funny song that you know i i, I and and uh again from my reading look there's no definitive reading of a lot of his songs a lot of them no. are good play a lot of them are you know done in you know a lot of people take drugs but not a lot of people take drugs and then write highway 61 revisited that's why right. he's about you know right <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I don't, I don't want to do a line by line, you know, but they're, they're, you know, it's just funny, you know, the Mac, the finger said to Louis, the King, uh, you know, Louis, the King, a lot of people, you know, related to the different Kings of England or to Louis Armstrong. I think it's, it's the King from Huckleberry Finn, you know, I mean, I just, hmm. I think it's this, but I mean, that, you know, that doesn't make my opinion any more valid than anybody else's. There's. You know, it, but it, it's almost, it's almost set up since Highway 61 is the solution. It's almost the punchline to every lyric too. Yes. It's like, no matter yeah. what the problem is, go to Highway 61. Um, right. Cause in this, in this song, I mean, it said it goes by in such a brief, it's, it's the second shortest song on the record. Right. Uh, from a Buick six is only a couple of seconds shorter. Uh, but, but I love that. And, and as you were saying, it's, it's hard not to think of the album the larger album because this is the title track he doesn't always do that about i'd say about half his records maybe a little less than half feature a title song from the right. record and generally i again all depends on how it strikes you it, it feels like when he does do that the song in question is somewhat the central thesis of the record times era changing right. um saved i would say you know, tempest Tend under the red sky, maybe they, you know, and then there's the other ones where he does it. Oh, mercy or blood on the tracks, planet ways where he doesn't do that. But this, everything is being distilled onto highway 61, this highway that cuts through America where the blues were founded and all these things and all these problems that all these people are interfering are, are, are dealing with are large and small. I mean, it opens with, you know, a very serious thing of God telling Abraham to kill someone. <laughs> but then the next two, it's, you know, he's got 40 red, and, red, white, and blue shoestrings and a thousand telephones that don't ring. Like, it's just a bunch of useless junk. And then yeah. the fifth daughter on the twelfth night told the first father that things weren't right. My complexion, she said, it is much too white. Now, hold it right there. So my complexion is much too white. Mm. I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's any way to read that without some kind of racial 
vibe. I mean, I don't know what it means exactly, but my complexion is much too white. Is it, it's an intense line, you know? Mm. I think. I mean, it just uh, my complexion is much too, and of course, it takes on a whole other meaning when Johnny Winter sings it. You know, right. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, I saw him do that at the 30th anniversary concert in, wow. in Madison Square Garden. He did that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's super blistering version, but the way that Bob kind of just goes back and forth and it's all this sort of melange of again serious things not serious things i mean the final verse where he says the roven gambler which again that's a character from an old folk song roven gambler which bob himself ends up covering you know decades right. later in concerts and, and, and roven gambler goes back in, in culture and in, 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 right in, in, way beyond that song it's the roven gambler is a is an immortal kind of figure you know right and he says he was trying to create the next world war and he found a promoter who nearly fell off the floor. He said, I never engaged in this kind of thing before, but yes, I think it can be very easily done. We'll just put some, put some bleachers out in the sun and have it on highway 61. So, you know, the end of the world can be sold as like a concert, an event that uh, people are just going to set. And you can do it on highway 61. So it, it, the fact that he seems so effortlessly goes back and forth between something that's very funny, very silly to something very serious. And I think that's what, and it, and it, again, it goes by so fast. And you've got that driving beat with the dun 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 dun, dun and it's it's so exuberant, as you said. It's it's like almost like a yeah. sing along. It's so fun to follow along, and yet it seems so serious, but then not. It, it, it's all that in like three minutes and twelve seconds or whatever it is. And that's so it makes it a real pop song. Well, you know, mm-hmm. a line that, there's a line that that is interesting because that line I found a part. He found a part who nearly fell off the floor, mm-hmm. and this is. On Dylan's official website, that's the word, off the floor. Mm-hmm. When the first time, or what does that mean to fall off the floor? It has, <laughs> and, 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 and in others, and in live versions, in other versions, Dylan says, fell, who nearly fell on the floor. Oh, he Jesse. Has, <laughs> Jesse, okay. But I mean, but here it's, I mean, it's certainly in, from Dylan Central, the website, it's fell mm. off. But I mean, that's, that's one of those things that's almost, like in songwriting 101, if I, if not that I ever took songwriting, but I would think if you were take, if you were in songwriting 101, your teacher would say, well, that fell off the floor is way too clever. It's going to make people not listen to the song. They're going to try to figure out what the line means. <laughs> but that's, but you know, that's our Bob. And, and because I mean, I can't even, even I, 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 I'm sort of, there's an image it conjures up of, of somebody who falls off the floor, but I don't even know what that, how would you draw that? How would you draw something <laughs> falling off the floor? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, when he, the word promoter, again, I always feel like he's, that's his little sidelong glance at his Albert Grossman because, right. you know, we, we knew Albert Grossman was a huckster beyond hucksters and, you know, with good, and he was very effective. He really helped Bob Dylan yeah. become Bob Dylan. But at this point, Dylan was on his way. He really didn't need Albert Grossman to do much for him anymore. Uh, and then they remained legally entangled for decades. But every time there's anything re- regarding a promoter or someone like that, I always feel like that's his sort of s- little side glance at, uh, at Albert Grossman, who maybe he feels like, you know, if, if he was given the opportunity to sell tickets to a world war, if he could be the promoter, he'd do it, you know, cause he could right, skim well, money I mean, off the ticket price. Of course, you could also read, you know, the promoter of the next world war is Lyndon Johnson or something, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that, um, the Roman, it's the Roman gambler. So if the Roman gambler is sort of a cowboy and the cowboy is trying to promote and create an ex world war, well, mm. you can make a case for that as, as Johnson, you know, but a promoter, 
right, and the promoter said, I never engaged in this kind of thing before, but the promoter comes up with the idea and what, and the solution is Highway 61. You know, it, it's, the, the song is, you know, right, so many of his songs, Dylan loves to cram in cultural references. And I would think, you know, part, like, again, he and Van, right? I mean, I didn't, when I was 15, I didn't know who Ma Rainey was. I didn't right. know who, yeah. was, but it kind of made me, I think it made a lot of people, you know, it's kind of the equivalent in a comic book, in comics of like, uh, well, nobody will buy issue 325, they need issue one. It's like, well, no, if you're really into this stuff, right. you'll buy issue 325, and then you want to read the 324 issues leading up to it. Cause right. you're so, <laughs> yeah. this, so, I mean, this, you know, there's a certain level on, on which you could easily hyperlink from any, from so many of Dylan's songs, you know, to a variety of possible uh meanings but you know but uh, you know he would be if it wasn't for, that, look the thing about dylan and and you know a lot of songwriters is that people tend to critique them you know write reviews or write based purely on the words that was sort of the tricky thing about dylan getting the nobel even he said you know i think he liked getting it and i'm sure he was thrilled um but even he said, my songs without the music are not complete, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and so you really can't not only see a singer, but at this point, he is the biggest pop star in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like on Tiger Beat magazine. You know, I mean, he's in, <laughs> you know, he's being made fun of by comedians on the Ed Sullivan show, you know, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the Beatles appear, you know, and of course, Dylan has his own complicated relationship with the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, he had too much, you know, it's like, you know, he had too much integrity to go on. Yeah. But how much publicity did he get out of, you know, he probably got as much publicity not going on. Not going on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it said it's, it's, it's an incredibly catchy pop song. Uh, and, and, but yet it opens up again with a guy, you know, recording the Bible. Uh, yeah. which seems sort of sac, you know, sacred to a certain, and then throwing that kind of hipster language to it. Hey, man, man you must be putting me on, like inserting the, 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 the way people talked in 1965 in the middle of this sort of Bible court. Again, it just, it makes Bob like just the coolest thing imaginable, you know, like, it's like, yeah, God, yeah. it just, this guy just cuts right through it and it is so razor sharp. Uh, and again, the fact that the song just get, gets in and out so quickly, you know, when I was listening to the, all the various versions yeah, in yeah. prep for this, I was like, God, this, this thing is over before you know it. Well, you know, look, that what Dylan, he's not the only one, but the, because that's sort of in a way, almost a definition of, of popular culture in a way. But what Dylan does, I think better than anybody is he can combine Un, undiluted sentimentality mm-hmm. with cooler than school hipness. He's, mm-hmm. able, he's able to invoke, I mean, tw- simple twist of fate is a great example. You know, it's the oldest cliche in the world. Oh, it's a simple twist of fate. Then he takes it and makes it something different. So he can, you read a lot of his lyrics and they are so corny, not unlike Stan Lee, you know, or, and, <laughs> you know, not, a, I mean, a lot of the stuff Stan would write, you know, or that Jack uh, would write or draw was just the oldest, you know, horiest cliches. 
but then he then they do something else to turn it on his head. And I think Dylan, you know, look, I mean, look at Forever Young, right? That's mm-hmm. could there be a more like syrupy sweet song? And yet he Bob Dylanizes it and yeah. <laughs> turns and it into a, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's um, and just he does it over and over. It takes this this incredible sentimental thing and then rings a chain on it or puts a change on it or puts it next to something else that's that's so powerful and sometimes it's nasty you know i mean you know you've um uh you've been with the professors they all like your looks the great lawyers you've discussed you've been through all f scott's fitzgerald's books um you're very well read it's well known i mean you know to be very well read is it's kind of a cliche but but there's a line in there um Oh, but you get, oh, just give a check to tax deductible charity organization. I mean, that <laughs> to be able, right? How many people could put, take the phrase tax deductible charity organization and imbue it with such meaning in a right. song? <laughs> you get it into a, can you even sing it in a way that doesn't sound completely discordant right. to the ear? You know, uh, I've always said that he's able to really put things into song that I would think you would never be able to sing you know i think average the average person just would not be able to spit it out and make it sound coherent at all but he can he can do that has anybody ever done a cover of ballad of thin man or has that been pretty much a bob dylan song i i just somebody we did we somebody somebody had to i mean every bob dylan song has been covered from the 60s every single one now the last bunch of songs we've been covering on the show have just happened to have been songs that he does not perform live very much at all. Like motorcycle nightmare. He's done. He's never done some of the other ones, but this one, this surprisingly enough, this was not, this was released as a B side to can I please crawl out your window, which was not a particularly successful single for Bob. And it, it's strange to me that this was not released as a single on its own because of wasn't, its wasn't it's, that wasn't Crawl Out Your Window, wasn't that the one Phil Oak said to him, I don't think that's gonna be a hit and Dylan Yes, was, Bob didn't it, like to hear Bob did not want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. But like this this is so short and catchy that you would think it would have been a natural song to release as a single after after Rolling Stone, but it wasn't. Again, it was B sided with right. with Window. But live wise, again in contrast to the some of the other songs we've been doing lately, this has been performed according to bobdylan.com and that's not always the most trustworthy source exactly 2000 times so this is definitely something that he clearly enjoys playing it's a great you know it's a great rock song it's a great up tempo song he actually did not play it at all during the the english tour with the band surprisingly enough he didn't make a debut until 1969 when he sang it at the Isle of Wight Festival, of all things. Was that the first uh, time at the Isle of Wight? Like, that's apparently August 31st, 1969. Yeah. But then again, 2,000 times since then. And it's been on multiple of his live albums. It's on, there's a version of it on Before the Flood. There's a version on, on Real Live. And I mentioned it was covered by Johnny Winter on the 30th anniversary concert. And then there's the, uh, there's multiple versions, uh, out to, multiple takes on it on the, the bootleg series volume 12. So this is something, and lyrically, it's always generally remained the same from, from just does by, he, does, he, does he sing all five stanzas when he performs? Base, the one, the ones I've heard, yes, he doesn't, he's generally kept it, right. uh, the way it originally wrote it, but I mean, it's, it's clearly a fun, a fun song to people, for people to hear. They're mm-hmm. going to know it and it's fun for the band to play because they can just really rip into it. Yeah, no, I think 
What's his most played song? Is it uh, Tangle Up in Blue? Or, or I think it's Watchtower. I think Watchtower holds the record. I'd have to look it up, but I believe Watchtower is in the... Yeah, this this is, you know, uh, and you have to wonder, well, look, uh, there, one, uh, you know, look, the big, the mystery of Bob Dylan, of course, <clears throat> is, I mean, among the mysteries is that he's on the road a hundred nights a year. And, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it's, you know, and he's on the road and he's, in small venues, he's not on the road in Madison Square Garden, or, or, or um, you know, or, 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 or big major league ball. You know, he's in, he's on the road in medium-sized venues. When he, you know, long ago ceased needing to, and it, it's, it's interesting. You know, I would love to. You know, I guess he, the implication he always makes is that he made, he swore to somebody, whether it's God or or a family mm-hmm. friend, right? He he always implies or says directly, you know, that it's a commitment he made to somebody, mm-hmm. you know. But it's and I'm and thank God he does it. I'm very grateful. But it's, you know, it it it's a remark. You know, I'd love to. You know, I'd love somewhere to find out something more in depth if we if we ever will. You know, there. You know, it's all the cliches about Bob. Uh, and you know, again, not to say there's, you know, there's like I said, there's lyrics on the new album that piss me off, but that's his job, you know. I'm not like <laughs> everything. Um, there, there used to be in New York, maybe in other cities, but in New York we had the annual Bob Dylan Imitators Contest, <laughs> and uh, they would have all the different categories, you know. But the slogan of the Dylan Imitators Contest was, "He not busy being Bob is busy trying." <laughs> You know, and I think about that because here's this guy. He puts out a tremendous amount of music. He paints, he sculpts, he's on the road. And I, and I guess, you know, my kind of wisecrack about it that, that when, you know, when I talk about it with people, uh, is, well, you know, he's Bob Dylan every day, all day. You know, he doesn't, uh, you know, he's not just Bob Dylan that hour and a half we see him on stage. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just every, Every year, I'm more, you know, with all his flaws. And again, I'll I'll, I'll quote myself again because I thought it was a reasonably clever thing. I said, <laughs> I was at a concert, <laughs> and you know, sometimes Dylan concerts can seem like Comic Cons, you know, old school Comic Cons. You know? <laughs> it's a lot of like middle aged men without their wives or girlfriends, you know, because <laughs> you know, and, and you know, the conversation at home was. Hey, honey, do you want to go with me to see Bob Dylan? It's like, nah, save the hundred fifty dollars, go yourself, and you go, it. you have fun. <laughs> but I, so I was saying to you know to, to the to the guy alone next to me at the Bob Dylan concert about uh, ten fifteen years ago. It's a great concert out at the oddly enough out at the Meadowlands where I would have expected it to be uh, not very good. It was just you know. Anyway, I said to him, you know. All the criticism and all the flaws and all the missteps, you know, let's face it, a lot of them are true, but he's the only Bob Dylan we got. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so that's, but I'm, 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 yeah, I'm continually amazed and then once in a while pissed off, you know, um, but mostly amazed at, at, at the career and the output and, and, and the dedication. Mm hmm. 
two two other things I wanted to mention because the, 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 when I, when other chances I'm going to get to mention this specifically to this song in terms of that you talked about you know Dylan where he takes a phrase you know simple twist of fate which yeah as you said existed in the culture before he ever came along but post him you feel like yeah. anytime you see it it's like oh it's a Dylan reference or, or whatever and I feel the same way about Highway 61 I mean Highway 61 is a highway. That exists, you know, I mean, it's a thing. It, it's presumably, I don't know when it was put in. I don't know if it was part of the interstate highway system that Eisenhower put in, which means, which means it created in the fifties, but the whole point is it predates the interstate highway system. Oh, oh, okay. So it predates the interstate highway system. Uh, well, I mean, well, I guess what I mean is did the, was the, was it called highway 61 pre Eisenhower? And was it called something else or was it always 61? Because there weren't, there weren't, they weren't called highways pre the interstate highway system, which was Eisenhower. Well, since, I mean, there are blues songs from the thirties, at least maybe the twenties that it's called, it's called 61 highway blues is the song. That's right. The 51. So I think, I know what you mean. A lot of highways have names from the old days as opposed to numbers. So that, right. You know, that, that I, I don't pretend, but I think it, it probably had both. Plus, Highway 61 revisited. What did that even mean? I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. you, know, most, you know, most people buying Bob Dylan albums in 1965 were not scholars of the blues and didn't. So, Highway 61 revisited. Revisited, yeah. Well, I'll tell. Well, I, I'll, I will tell you this too. Back when I in the in the late 80s, 89, 90, I was getting into Bob for the first time, and I didn't know anything. And this, of course, is pre-internet. So I have no way of, unless I went out and bought a Dylan book, which I, I didn't do at the time, I had no way of knowing what order things came in. You know right. what I mean? I didn't know. And so I was buying these on cassette and just like, oh, this one looks interesting. Okay. Not having any clue. And I remember finding the, the cassette for Highway 6200 visited and thinking, oh, he must have another record called Highway 61. And this is like a sequel <laughs> to that record because it's revisited, right? That's what that means. He's going that's back a logical, to it. That's a logical yeah. Thing. It's like Brideshead revisited. Was there Brideshead well, first? You know, he, there's a quote but, from him, right? That he had to really like throw his clout around with the record company to get them to agree to that. Right. They didn't want to call it that. Um, but anyway, but post him, post this song, Highway 61, when it is referenced is Anyone is going to be like, oh, it's a Dylan reference. And there's two examples I can think of. Again, this is such useless trivia, but when else am I going to use it? <laughs> One is there is a movie from the mid-90s, an independent movie called Highway 61, which is about uh, these people going on this journey on this highway. And they they talk they talk about discovering American roots music. Uh, Dylan's music is not featured in it. I saw the movie back when I worked at a video store and I rented it for that reason. I was like, oh, well, you know. and there's no Bob music in it because it's an independent production. They clearly didn't you know, have a lot of money to spend. But nevertheless, it's steeped in the culture that Dylan yeah. is trading upon because oh, you're sure. talking about Roots American music. And then the one other, again, this is such a useless diversion, but, you know, this is my show. I do what I want, is... In, 19, in 1987, there is the Dragnet movie with Tom <laughs> Hanks and Dan Aykroyd, which, right. God help me, I actually kind of like. But anyway, there's a scene in that movie where the two of them are in a car together and they're they're driving to this location to uh, head off this cult, well, yada, yada, yada. And Tom Hanks is looking at a map and he goes, uh, oh, yeah, he's taking this. And he goes, oh, and he's taking it right off of 
Highway 61. <laughs> and in 1987, that was pre my Bob fandom. I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what, what? I don't get that joke. Why is he talking like that? And they'll post that. I'm like, oh, he's imitating. But just the mere mention of Highway 61 is enough for Tom Hanks to just do a sort of faux Bob Bray that he, that he had. And I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. It's a little Bob Dylan reference there. Yeah, no, it's no, like, I mean, he, you're right. He has taken. You know, but I mean, say there's, that's what good pop culture does. I mean, mm-hmm. Stan Lee did not invent with great power. There must also come great responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of those things that a hundred different people are credited with having said some version of it years before Stan or Spider-Man ever did. But right. But um, now it's, and yeah. now it's forever right, associated with Uncle Ben and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, so. <laughs> Well, I mean, he said it's an amazing song. It's, it's so, I've heard it a million times and I don't get tired of it. Again, I listened to it a bunch of times in the last couple of uh, weeks and it's just like, oh man, this is just such a blast to listen to. So, uh, I am glad that we finally got to it. But before we get to wrapping up here, is there anything else in your notes and any, and all the, all the preparation you did you want to get to before um, we go? Oh, actually, well, I mean, I know, again, I know we're not talking about the album, but. It's it's such a package for me. If um, think back to the days when a record album was an was like a, a foot square and it had mm-hmm. liner notes on the back. Mm-hmm. Well, the liner notes on Highway sixty one were very influential to me. I I just found my, to this day I found myself quoting them. But I'll just can I just read like the first few lines? Sure, of course. On the slow train and slow train as we know slow train yeah. On the slow train, time does not interfere, and at the Arabian crossing waits Whiteheap, the man from the newspaper, and behind him, the hundred inevitables made of solid rock and stone, the cream judge and the clown, the dollhouse where savage rose and fixable live simply in their wild animal luxury. (laughs) That's just the first three lines. (laughs) You're getting a whole album by itself of just the liner notes and stuff. I mean, and there's... You know, there are Dylan, there are like sort of words and phrases he uses in songs and, and, um, and then I'll skip down. Some, some, I know, like there's 500 words in one long paragraph that's not even punctuated. It's all, right. I mean, and then there's a line skip and then there's a last paragraph. Um, you're right, John Cohn. John Cohn was a member of the uh, New Lost City Ramblers, I think, and a, and a historian and photographer. You're right, John Cohn. Quasimodo was right. Mozart was right. I cannot say the word I, that's E-Y-E, anymore. When I speak this word I, it is as if I am speaking of somebody's I that I faintly remember. There is no I. There is only a series of mouths. Long live the mouths. Your rooftop, if you don't already know, has been demolished. I is plasma. And you are right about that, too. You are lucky. You don't have to think about things, about such things as I and rooftops and Quasimodo. I'm I remember that part. Yeah. So, I mean, those lines, you know, that, that's a bygone era. I mean, now I guess you can get a, you know, a hundred page booklet to read with certain uh, albums. But, but the idea that this would be a thing that you would read maybe while you were listening to the album. So it, it, it's a, it, it was an incredible package, you know, to, for, for a listener. And, and uh, so anything, let me see. So I just wanted to, the, the notes are, are just um, 
uh you know i have notes about the album but not about the song so i don't i don't want to go off topic <laughs> uh, they really were their own art they really were their own separate piece those liner notes that he did yeah you um know? and he brought him back for uh world gone wrong uh, uh you know it's almost sort of self-conscious way of like oh hey i'm gonna bring back the old crazy ass liner notes and they're 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 a delight they're they're full of wonderful turns of phrase and little hidden truths buried in the liner notes to you know this this record here there's... and yet he's still bob dylan right you know i mean well mm-hmm. there's, there's a poem look the liner notes there's, there's notes not only in the line notes there's notes on the jackets of the re- of the paper record jackets you know mm-hmm. but i mean only bob dylan only bob dylan could say you know pete you know for blood on the tracks well pete hamill wrote my liner notes but i'm gonna dump them and put a <laughs> and put a painting that i did on it instead like who does that except Bob? So uh, yeah, I, 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 all my notes I say are just sort of general. Uh, you know, I, uh, um, you know, just the only other thing maybe is that, you know, when you look up these key phrases, you know, like second mother, seventh. I mean, a lot of them go back into various folklore and mythology and Bible and Shakespeare, but there's a few of the phrases. That like we'll have like a movie, there'll be a movie title from 2015. Obviously, 40 right. years after this. So I mean, the influence goes backwards and and forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's uh, and 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 I would just say it's interesting if you're if you or your or whoever's listening feels like um, playing the Leonard Cohen's uh, story of Isaac, sort of you know uh, you know consecutively with this with this song. I mean, it's 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 an interesting. Because Cohen really, although not known as a particularly political guy, that Cohen story of Isaac is a bit, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's generalized. You who build these altars now is to sacrifice his children. You must not do it anymore. You know, I mean, on the one hand, it's a general, you know, kind of uh, anti-war song, but it does come out right in the midst of the Vietnam War, in a, you know, in a way that Dylan would not, and that Cohen is not generally identified with. But I, I, I think you. I think that given the high regard they had for each other, it's hard to imagine, and, and that they were both on Columbia. You know, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to imagine story of Isaac appearing without um, Highway sixty one. Where is it? Highway sixty one. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Danny, thank you so much for doing this. Before we sign off, I do have to ask you one of the standard exit questions that we have on the show. And since you're new to the show, I'll go back to the one I've been doing for a while, which is if there's any Bob Dylan recording session, anything, any record. A theme time radio hour, the philosophy, philosophy of modern song, audio book, any Bob Dylan recording session that you could just sit in on, not participate, but just sit in on to watch happen in front of you. What would that be? Okay, I'm going to digress before I answer it. Like you're surprised, right? <laughs> Dylan, you know, at the very beginning of the of the uh, digital age, comes out with a Highway 61 revisited CD-ROM. I remember that, yeah. Which I, you know, I've only sort of seen bits and pieces of. Um, and that really, part of that is taking you into the Highway 61 session. If there was any, so if there's any Dylan session, I'd want to be, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, you know what? I, I mean, that's a great question that I've literally never thought about. <laughs> so I will just, I will, I will just say, Maybe one of the ones from like before he was famous, like one of the ones he made in uh, in in um, in in the 
in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Okay. Like the house party tapes or whatever. House the... party tapes or the one he made. Not with Carolyn Hester. What was the, the woman's name? Yeah, that would seem to be, you know, to be able to be present at that and sort of see that happening would be kind of, you know, or, uh, you know, th- those are, kind of, are surfacing and I haven't even heard all of them, but that would, that would seem to me to be, you know, wow, let's see. Let's see what I can discern in this 20 year old kid that would then, that would lead him. You know, there's, there's a great quote from Jay Hoberman about Dylan that, uh, I, I don't know by heart, but it basically, it explains Bob Dylan in like, you know, 50 words or less. And, but it basically is, how did this guy, how did this, you know, rock and roll, this teenage rock and roll, uh, singer and, and performer from Hibbing. How, how did this kid who was one of a thousand people coming to Greenwich Village to participate in the folk revival become Bob Dylan? I mean, it's basically, you know, and the no, and only answer for that is, of course, talent and ambition and luck and all. But I mean, it is, it's, so I, yeah, to see that talent that raw and that early, I don't know if I'd want to, I don't think I want to go back as far as hearing him like, you know, uh, read the Mother's Day poem for his mother when he was 10. <laughs> I don't have to go back that far. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, I think maybe Dylan in one of those raw early tapes, just fooling around with friends at a party. Yeah. All right. That's, I don't think anyone's ever said that before. That's a great answer. I mean, they're all great answers. It's all, it's all just individual to the person's taste, but that's a, that's an interesting choice that you would do pre. He's not even Bob Dylan really at that point. He's, he's still Bobby Zimmerman doing those sorts of things or just, he's just forming that identity. That's a, it's a really interesting answer. Well, you know, there's a look. I mean, I've always said, you know, I'd kind of like to meet Bob Dylan, but then if he was mean to me, I'd feel bad, you know, Ditto. Yep. Um, the, yep. to me, the, the greatest Dylan, the, the Bob Dylan you imagine meeting is the one from Pawn Stars. Have you seen that video? Yeah, oh, of course. Yes. Um, where he's like so nice to Chumley and just like kind of, <laughs> You know, who everybody else is mean to. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Ironically I, enough, Chumley's the one they pick on on that show. Yeah, and, uh, I, like, I like to think if I met Bob Dylan, that kind of nice Bob Dylan would be the one <laughs> I'd, I'd meet. You know, it's a, it's a great thought. Have you ever seen that photo of him? Uh, hold it, reading the sporting news. You ever seen that photo? Yeah, he's got, like hanging out. He's reading a, yeah, and, yeah, and, and he's got the cowboy hat on. And yeah. I, I've said it on multiple shows that. If, 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 if God say, you know, the God from Highway 61 came down to me and, or the God that made sure this song was available for you to do, Danny, um, <laughs> that, that, that more benevolent God came to me and said, what context would you want to meet Bob? That's how I would want to do it. I would want to be, I'm driving on a highway. It's late at night. I pop into a 7 Eleven or the rest stop restaurant. And there he is, you know, getting a coffee and a, and a chili dog. And I see him and I, I feel like I wouldn't get a selfie. I wouldn't buy, I would make eye contact and just give him like a thumbs up. Just like, okay, man, <laughs> like that would be it. It would be tempting to ask for more, but I know I had the experience. And t- that photo of him reading the sporting news makes me think that of like, just imagine walking in to get, right. you know, a Twinkie and oh my God, there's Bob Dylan. And yet, as, as, as we mentioned, you know, he is Bob Dylan 24 hours a day. So the, mm-hmm. you know, so he probably does go into, you know, I mean, that probably happens to somebody 
you know, every day. Maybe the, more the, often than they realize, you know, yeah, he's, he's yeah. good at being a kind of a chameleon and stuff like that. So, well, Danny, again, thank you so much for doing this. I said this thank on you. I, I really, I, I'm, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I said this on our mountain comic show. I mean, it said I, I read comics growing up with your name in them and all the people whose names were in the comics were like, godlike figures to me because i i worship these books so much and just the idea that they were made by actual people you know i knew it on some intellectual level but also not i was just like hey, who are these people that get to make these things that i enjoy so getting to be able to talk to you now twice for over two different shows has just been uh an amazing experience and so uh thank you so much for doing this and and tell people where they can find you out on the internet uh well look thank you this was great fun both times your questions are great and and Thank you. Well, it's just a great conversation. You can find me at dannyfingeroth.com. My main social media is um is is Facebook cuz I'm old, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and I'll just plug I you know, since I am, you know, obsessed with the 60s, I've just finished writing a biography of Jack Ruby, the guy who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Wow. Who has three? Who uh, who is in three pictures in the philosophy of modern song and is referenced twice on uh, rough and rowdy ways in uh, murder most foul. So <laughs> that'll be coming out in November in time for the sixty. Really October, but in time. You no, know, November is the sixtieth anniversary of the uh, Kennedy and uh, assassination wow. and, and not Ruby killing Oswald. So, uh, and yes, of course, I quote Bob Dylan in the, <laughs> in the yeah. several times. Um, so that's my. My my big uh, plug for the day, but thank you. This is just a great pleasure to uh, you know talking Bob. You know there there are two pleasures in talking Bob. One is when you can stump somebody, and one is, <laughs> but another one is when you find somebody you can't stump, and you go, <laughs> and you are that guy. And I, and, and was- <laughs> I got to say, just a couple days ago, I don't. Do you watch Jeopardy? You watch that show? I know there was a Dylan. I know they had a Dylan. Yeah, the other night they had a Dylan. It was you know, and that's one of those ones. And so. The first question, no, was the answer was Mr. Tambourine Man, and nobody knew it. And I'm screaming at the television, <laughs> Tambourine Man, what are they, you know? Because it was, hey, it was Bob Dylan said, hey, this person. Yes, yes, I saw that question. Yeah, and, yeah. and people that nobody knew, and I was just like, I'm yelling, ah, I wish they got me so mad, you know, and then they, the, you know, they well, got the other know, four. But... People like you and I, we have a head full of ideas that are driving us insane. <laughs> so... so true. It's so good true. to be able to like share them with somebody. Thank you so much. Great That's fun. what this is. It gets me good. This is a talk therapy for me as a, as a friend <laughs> might say. So <laughs> anyway, uh, of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support Pod Dylan, please go to patreon.com slash FW podcasts like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hustle, George Shorty, Wacky Meckle, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. 9.56 p.m. We were issued appropriate surveillance apparel and withdrew from central receiving one distressed 1985 unmarked Ford sedan. Yeah, it's right up here. It's just off uh, Highway 61.